As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Joelle Steiniger. And I'm Matt Goldman. And we're having 20-minute talks with entrepreneurs teaching you how to launch your product into revenue. Check out our book at howtobuildarocketship.com to reserve your launch discount and to download a free chapter. Today we talked with Gregory Ciotti, the man behind Help Scouts Inbound Marketing. He breaks down his process for producing his unique research-backed content, And he also talks about the recent decision to pull down the email wall to all their guides and let them live out in the open. So welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. We're here with Gregory Ciotti. He is the inbound marketer at Help Scout. Greg, welcome to the program. Great to be here. So tell us a little bit about getting started with Help Scout and 
um, what those early days for you look like and maybe even what your day to day looked like. Absolutely. So in the beginning, I was uh, I was actually a contract uh, worker for Help Scout, a freelance. I'm sure everybody uh, has gone through those days, and it was kind of interesting because you know I was happy with the situation, but I had I kind of had my eye on um, you know trying to find someone that I could really do full time content for. Uh, you know, one of the, it was part of it was finding a challenge, finding a space I thought you know I could do really well in. And I wanted it to be B2B just because that's kind of like where a lot of my experience comes from. Um, so in regards to Help Scout, you know, I got uh, forwarded to them by Leo from Buffer. They were looking for somebody. And I would say I was freelancing for like maybe two months. And, you know, within two months of working with the team, you know, the culture was a fit. Um, the product was something that I have a lot of experience just using Zendesk. And I'm not going to sit here and slight Zendesk, but... As a customer for a lot of companies who use Zendesk, I was just like, oh man, there needs to be something better. And I just love what they were building. So that's kind of the backstory. I just thought, uh, I thought we could do a lot in the customer service space. And so far, I think the most recent like information I have in terms of like, you know, the effects that I've had for the company is 84% of all inbound traffic is now through some piece of content, which I think is kind of amazing considering we're doing you know, 2000 or 250,000 uniques a month. It's kind of crazy that information has been such a big role in kind of helping with growth. Yeah. Well, you're kind of known for these research backed articles. Um, were you always writing kind of long form content or was there an evolution to get to here? I mean, I would say I caught on pretty quickly that I felt, you know, back in the kind of the blogging days of like 2005, everybody would say write short pieces, but that was when there wasn't a lot of people doing it. I mean, nowadays, if you're going to write something, it kind of has to be, it has to either say something really strongly, something totally kind of fresh, or it has to be comprehensive. That's pretty much the only two ways I found um, that kind of really break through kind of like the clutter that is content marketing or whatever you'd like to call it today. Um, so, I mean, for us with the whole research side, I guess I've always kind of looked at it as like like the M. Night Shyamalan technique is what, what we kind of call it internally. It's like you need to have that unique twist or otherwise people won't remember what you're doing. Uh, you know, poor M. Night, he kind of ruined his career by trying to up <laughs> trying to up the unique twist with every movie. Right. But you yeah. only need to get you only need to get it right once. I mean, with us, it was like we looked at customer service articles. And if you go on Forbes or something, I mean, every article is like five tips that I pulled out of my ass this morning on the way to work. Like they're, they're just awful. So uh, we were just like, if we were going to write about customer service, like what's the unique angle? Like what do people want to actually see about? And, you know, it was pretty obvious. It was kind of serendipity in a way, but it was pretty obvious just given, you know, looking into the space that people really wanted like a data-driven approach to it. So within that data-driven approach, how do you find consistent content to write about? I mean, you do have to kind of rely on serendipity a little bit, but I mean, starting with great sources is one of the best ways. Um, Frankly, if I'm just speaking candidly, I don't think there's a single good business publication out there besides the Harvard Business Review. Uh, it's the only thing that I pay for, like in terms of like a subscription to something. Um, and just kind of having a lot of a, a really organized Feedly nowadays. <laughs> Back in the day, it would have been like a Google Reader or something like that. Um, but just really keeping an eye out for people in the space that, you know, they put out good stuff, especially original research, um, because you can take original research from like uh, I guess some of my favorite sources are like a couple um, like psychology journals and Gallup and Forrester and people that do, you know, kind of original um, looks into, consu you know, customer experience and stuff like that. And just having them 
kind of having a nice stream of incoming stuff that you can kind of play off of each other. Uh, cause you might find like a piece of data that's like, you can't really do anything with that single piece, but it might be perfect for an upcoming article as like a, a supplement or like a, a nice little excerpt. You know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> so most, of the, most of the writing that we do isn't research backed. It's more story form or talking through something that we experienced with, you know, building out the product or marketing it. So take me through that process. It sounds like you always have your ears open. Some of it's serendipitous and you're watching these sources. But when you decide on a topic to write about, what's that process look like? Are you pulling from one source? Are you digging deeper into whatever they were talking about and going to other places online where you find the info? How's that work? So like very rarely will I find across something that I think needs to be written about by itself. Generally speaking, what I do is if I find something good, uh, I have a really complex, delicious system, which... Unfortunately for, you know, people who have asked me about this, all my like 99% of my delicious links are private just because that was a setting that was like, I just selected it and kind of forgot about it. <laughs> I kind of wish I would have set it to public because people could see like my process of like what I save and stuff like that. Um, but basically I have like a really kind of, I wouldn't call it complex. It's just a very well organized, uh, delicious kind of bookmarks. And I keep them in, you know, very specific categories. Like you can't categorize anything as like interesting. Like you're going to really fuck up your, your kind of bookmarks that way. So if it's, if it's something that's like customer loyalty research, like I have a tag just for that and I'll tag all of that stuff. And when it comes time to, you know, the way I like to bring research in is like, I like to make a point. So that's why I kind of don't really rely on like a single piece. You know, if like we're going to talk about like customer loyalty programs, I have, a, you know, a tag in Delicious that's just about customer loyalty programs. I mean, not only research, but um, people's opinions and stuff like that. So basically, I kind of just wait it out until I find a topic that I like to like kind of tackle. And I just go through and find great like supplemental arguments that, um, you know, kind of back up my own points and form the, the piece as a whole. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att. Dot com. That's business.att.com. So something else that has really set your content apart um, is the visual style that you put on everything. Um, I remember from day one when I started discovering the guides and things like that that HelpScout was putting out. Um, you knew in two seconds, even just based on that top graphic, this was a HelpScout article. Um, can you talk a little bit about how... Um, you started that approach and if you're working with a designer or if you have some kind of style guide that you can jump in and, and crank some of this stuff out on your own, because I know for us, it's been a big struggle when we try and put together things like, um, slide shares or more visual storytelling. Um, we really struggle with that and you guys have found a way to make it look so clean and simple. So I'd love to hear your process and how you do that. Absolutely. I mean, I wish I could add a better kind of piece of advice rather than just having a good designer on hand. I mean, one of our co-founders is is a designer, the lead designer, uh, and he's amazing. And we kind of, I guess, like my biggest benefit really is to be able to work with him directly and to never, we never outsource like anything um, design wise, which I know is, like I said, it's, 
it's not really the situation a lot of people are in. Uh, in terms of like strategy, I mean, we really just looked at, I feel like design is best in those kind of instances when you look at what other people are doing and then try to do, you know, something else. I mean, p- things stand out when they're different, obviously. So we kind of looked at the customer service space and found that, um, you know, a lot of times if people did have a strong visual element, it was just like they were good at finding stuff on like Shutterstock or Clipart. Like it, it wasn't anything kind of like original or compelling. Um, so we wanted to go with like really kind of bright, um, simplistic kind of like graphics that summed up, um, the article in like a single icon. Hopefully that's like the message that we get across. I mean, pretty much every graphic is like a very bright background color and an icon that hopefully sums up like what I'm about to talk about. Um, you know, other than that, I do come up with the, with the, like the design ideas a lot of the times, but Jared is the one who, who implements. And a lot of times actually his original creations are just, he just comes up with it, does it himself. And, by the time the article is ready, uh, it's already there. So I'm kind of spoiled in that regard. Um, in terms of, you know, our resources, that's another thing where like I'll have a brainstorming kind of, I guess, add, you know, value add. I'll kind of help with ideas and stuff like that. Um, but I'm very, I, I'm open to admit I very much like kind of use Jared as a crutch because he, uh, you know, he just has everything in terms of design down pat. I really don't have that much input there. I wish I, I had a better answer, but <laughs> that's just the truth. Well, it kind of kind of brings us to a change you made with the resources yesterday, um, where you used to have them all behind an email wall, and you had to sign up to download the PDFs. Um, and I think you were taking those PDFs and putting them up on the SlideShare sites too. But now they're totally public, and they're all HTML pages. So I'm curious... I mean, we can talk about the the marketing implications of that, but I'm curious if that's going to simplify the process of releasing these. If you guys have a framework in place now where, you know, you have a block quote style, you have an image style and you need those graphics produced, but where if, you know, you or someone with a bit of front end chops could put together one of these guides without having to sit in Photoshop for hours on end, producing it piece by piece, has that changed the process at all? Oh, there's definitely like a style guide, I guess you would call it for the resources. Um, it's it kind of it definitely has some I guess you you pretty much described exactly what I would have said. It, it kind of has simplified the whole process because, you know, an ebook design, uh, there's just a lot more to it. I mean, and there's a lot of things that I feel like are more difficult to convey on a single ebook page than what you can do off of an, you know, an infinite, not infinite, but a, a lengthy scrolling page, if you get what I mean. Um, yeah. so it's definitely been a, a big kind of, um, a big burden has kind of been lifted in terms of what it takes to create this stuff on the back end. And yet, you know, the final product I think is just as beautiful. So talk to us a little bit more about opening up this wall. Um, what caused that decision in internally and what benefit are you guys seeing from it? So, you know, I feel like there's a couple of different stages with blogs. I mean, in the beginning, you just, you really want to get people on the newsletter. That's what it's all about. Uh, it's impossible to find traction otherwise. Um, and you have to do a lot of kind of extra promotion for each piece of, you know, each article that you put out. If you'd like to get anywhere, that's definitely what I did in the early days. I mean, every new help scout article, um, I, I kind of had to really work hard on getting it out there. And I was just like, you know what? Let's, let's forget this. Let's just try to really focus on getting everybody on the newsletter. And we figured the best way to do that was to have an incentive. Um, and we kind of took a, 
we kind of took like a, I don't know how you would put it, like a treasure box approach. We didn't want like one article or one resource that people would get. We wanted you to be able to get a ton of stuff if you signed up for our newsletter. So gating all of those things kind of made sense at the time. Um, in terms of the transition, you know, I mean, we're 40,000 newsletter subscribers right now. And like I, like I was telling Matt earlier, we actually cut out around 6,000 people who hadn't opened up in like six months. Um, so, you know, we're growing the newsletter so fast. It's like, you know, why do we bother kind of doing, we used to use the, we used to use these kind of opt-in pages for like guest posts and stuff like that. And those don't really have the returns that they do, you know, nowadays. Um, so we're like, why were we hiding this stuff behind the scenes when we could be attracting, you know, more links, a lot more search engine traffic because nobody links to an opt-in page. If you, if you, if you haven't figured that out, no one ever does. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we found like right away, just to give you kind of a, a simplistic example, we opened up the art of customer loyalty and within like a couple days, it was in the front page of Google for customer loyalty. Uh, right now it's kind of doing the Google dance. It's bouncing around a little bit. Um, but kind of as a comparison, I had been trying to rank that opt-in page for customer loyalty for like months. And I just, I couldn't, it was just like impossible. Like Google does not like to rank those pages at all. And yet we opened it up and within three days we're at the front of, you know, we're the first page of Google. It was definitely a big return in terms of kind of just opening up for everyone. So was that your dry run? Did you do that before you opened everything up to see how it would work? Yeah, that was the first thing that we kind of switched over to the open style. And it looks like you guys have also built a, I mean, like I said before, a framework, but not just the style guide. It looks like everything's broken into chapters and there's a consistent um, format across everything, which is great because you recognize it as a help scout resource when you see it. Um, did that take a ton of effort to put together? Or did you require, you know, pulling devs off of the product to do this stuff? Uh, actually, no. Like I said, Jared kind of, you know, he, he handled the whole transition himself, basically. Um, he, he definitely took him off of a lot of like the, the design work that he does within the product. Although at the time, you know, we just use a different organizational calendar when Jared is kind of really marketing focused, uh, to handle kind of other stuff that, you know, he won't need to be involved in. Um, but yeah, basically he kind of just, he wanted to take, he didn't have to really redesign and it, it, the kind of th like theme of each resource didn't change very much. It just had to have that transition to the online version. Um, so I, I wish I had a better understanding of his process of like what he does exactly to kind of outline what would be different. Um, but I just know that, you know, it took him about two weeks and everything was kind of uh, moved over beautifully. Um, if you were starting again in, in today's environment, uh, which direction would you go? Would you go for an open resource or would you go for the newsletter collection? No, if we had to start again, I would not do the open resource. Um, like I said, it was definitely a strategic move that was kind of made once we thought we were at a certain size. Um, you know, the way things work, like when you have a hundred subscribers and you, you send out, uh, you know, you send out a broadcast to them, you, you probably gain maybe like 10 more people if the article kind of takes off and people share it. So it, there's not really a return there. I mean, when you, when you have a big enough return for your, to kind of like focus inward, um, stuff like appearing off site, a lot of the PR stuff I was doing, all of the guest posting I was doing, the returns just aren't there anymore. It's like, you're not seeing the traffic bump that you used to. I mean, I remember back in the day, it's like, we wrote a, a guest post for copy blogger and it's like, we got like 400 subscribers in a day and everybody was psyched and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, nowadays that's not even really a blip. You know what I mean? It's, it's not really a big deal. So we kind of had to like, 
we kind of had to figure out what we could do on site that would scale better. And as it turns out, I mean, search and just general like links and people picking up the resources and linking to them and talking about them uh, was just a much better way to get the brand out there. And it's like, why, why would I do extra work to like, you know, come up with totally new resources when we could just transition the great stuff that we had into a more open format. So something that Joel and I have been putting off for a really long time is guest posting. Did we miss the boat on that or is there still value in doing it? I mean, if you can get on a site where it's more of a rarity, I find that it still works. And on sites that have, you know, excellent audiences, like I, I would recommend copy bloggers still as like one of the very few sites on the internet where we've had like returns that were worthwhile. Um, when you can do like, when you can do it like that, like I said, either get on someone's site who it's like they never really allow guest posts or they don't allow guest posts very often. People will kind of see you. Um, but when you do guest posts for kind of big sites that, you know, they always have guest authors writing, there's this kind of like, I call it byline blindness because it's like no one reads the byline anymore. Um, you know, I've written for people and then I go down in the comments and I have people thanking the person who runs the site and not me. It's like, just, it's like you, you totally know they didn't click through. They didn't look at anything. Um, so yeah, I would, I wouldn't say like, I wouldn't say you totally missed the boat with that stuff, but you just have to be much more selective with your time. I mean, you kind of have to do the whole freelancer, like, this is what I value my time at. And if I'm going to take four hours to write an article for someone else, it has to have X returns or just don't even bother ever again. And for, for people with lists smaller than a thousand, what would you say is the most valuable thing to be doing? I mean, one of the things that I like is just it's promotion. Like people just don't like to promote the big stuff that they put out, I've noticed, or they do it in a really bad way. I mean, the, the kind of stereotypical example is um, the SEO pitch that I'm sure everyone's received dozens of times. <laughs> like, the, here's my infographic like link to it. Um, honestly, kind of just general networking before you need it has always served us well because every time something comes out for us, it's like a nice casual email from me mentioning it. it doesn't feel like a sales pitch. I, I always kind of I worry about that stuff. And I, the way the circumvented is kind of just network before you need it. Networking is like the content marketing secret that no one wants to talk about. I swear. Um, it's when people, you know, like what you're doing and they like you, they're happy to support you and they, they kind of look out for your stuff. Um, so if I were to say, if I were to like give one piece of like content marketing advice, it's just, you know, be a networker, be someone who connects with interesting people and you'll find all of those like marketing terms, like the inbound links that you need, blah, blah, blah. They'll just happen naturally because people with websites will link to you because they like you. I mean, I know it's, it's not the most surprising thing out there, but I swear it's like no one ever does that. They just, they keep cranking out articles and then they try to like cold pitch to people people like me, it, <laughs> it pisses me off, but it's like, yeah, if I were to give one piece of advice, man, I just look out for people doing interesting things and kind of, you know, make relationships with them. Yeah. It's networking is this dirty word. You go through school and they teach you. It's one thing that, you know, sucks and there's no way it could work showing up to a room of people where everyone's trying to sell each other stuff that nobody wants. And then, uh, you know, through Twitter and the internet, it's completely different. We, everything changed for us about a year ago when we started talking to people. And that was probably around the time that we talked. Um, and we hopped on Skype and you helped me out. And since then we've kept in touch over email and Twitter. And it's the reason why you're on today. Uh, it's definitely, it's not, it's, we're, we're gone from the era of like slick back hair and business cards. Like that era is over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Huge impact. And uh, what you guys do, honestly, is something, you know, 
I'm really interested in because it, it kills two birds with one stone. It's such a great way to kind of like, um, candidly talk to people, but also have like a system that gets something out of it, like a podcast that people will listen to and that serves as like an inbound experience in itself. So yeah, any way you can kind of incorporate just getting to know people, all of our stuff really has taken off on, on the back of just people really like looking out for us. Uh, I mean, you'll see that we're featured in like the buffer content suggestions all the time. And it's just, why is that? Be just because we're friends with the company, like making friends really goes a long way in terms of, you know, getting people to pay attention. So going back to the beginning, you said that uh, Leo made the intro. Leo from Buffer made the intro to Help Scout. How did you know him before? What were you doing before Help Scout? Uh, honestly, I mean, this is kind of validation for that technique. But honestly, I just reached out to him via email and saying, like, I was loving what Buffer was doing. Um, you know, in time, in a couple of weeks, a couple of months, I guess, went by. And I actually started writing for them a little bit. Not nothing paid just because I, I really liked what they were doing. I thought it'd be a great way to kind of get my name out there. These were in the early days, though, back when Buffer wasn't getting like 10,000 tweets per article. So <laughs> it was kind of like the beta stage. Um, but yeah, it was basically just me kind of getting into the space. I wanted to find someone in SaaS that was like doing something interesting. Um, like I said, I, I wanted to be B2B, which is why, if you're curious, I never kind of like went with Buffer in terms of full time. Um, so yeah, it was kind of just a friendship between me and Leo, uh, which is crazy uh, because we've never actually met in person. It's crazy that the internet can allow like a relationship like that, even though we've never even had the opportunity to shake hands yet. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Um, it's an incredible tool. Well, thank you, Greg, for coming on and um, and sharing your insight here. Tell us where can we keep up with you um, and Help Scout? Uh, absolutely. So the Help Scout blog is just helpscout.net. Uh, slash blog. Um, my personal site, which will update once every, you know, every time the planets align, probably once every like three months or so, uh, Gregory Ciotti.com is where I kind of like, if I have something, you know, important to say about what we're doing behind the scenes at Help Scout, especially with content, that's where I'll write about it. Thank you for joining us. Definitely. It's great talking to you guys. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you haven't yet, pop open iTunes and subscribe to be notified of future episodes. We have some really great ones lined up. And while you're there, leave us a review. We really appreciate each and every one of them. Если социум не заценит, своих зацепит. Приятней денег, только руки в небе. Цени мгновение.